Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and you'll hear from me, Emily Hansen Kern, preaching from the lectionary, which was John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or more sermons on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Um, Since I know you all are faithful readers of the Pathfinder, I know I hardly need to read this next excerpt for you, but just for the few of you who don't, here it is. Um, A few weeks ago, Steffi Ostrowski, she's a newcomer here at All Souls, wrote a a piece in the Pathfinder about her experience in the catechumenate. Um, And I asked her to write a little reflection on it because I had watched her have sort of an experience going through the catechumenate, and I thought she might have some things that would enlighten all of us. So uh, I'll pick up where she left off um, in week three. So in week three, she writes, Dan Carlson's discussion of the Book of Common Prayer turned into a rollicking tour through the English monarchy. For those who know Dan, no one is surprised by that. And then week four's discussion of the Bible with the Reverend Michael Lemaire was similar. Process dominated over substance. Rather than unpacking the meaning behind the text, we focused on its historical evolution. The lectures were fascinating and the conversations stimulating, yet here I was, four weeks in and no closer to answering my starting question than I was when I began. Just what is it that Episcopalians believe? I was intrigued and thoroughly amused. It was in week five with Dr. Scott McDougall on theology that things started to click. Another variation on the now familiar theme, process over substance and the how over the what. But now with a more explicit normative lens. Bad theology kills, Dr. McDougall reminded us. It matters, he implored, that we handle this gift we've been given with care and that we do theology right. Built upon this premise, the lessons of the previous weeks began to make sense. The history of this institution and its key texts provide important lessons about the ways that dogmatic pronouncements can undermine the gospel message. The how, it turns out, really matters, perhaps as much as the what. I expected the classes to focus on the big questions, to lay out what it is that Episcopalians believe, but as it turns out, I was fixing, I was fixing, I was fixing, I was fixing. Rather than that what, the catechumenate focused on the how. The how, the way or manner or means by which a thing is done. By definition, it is doing. And have you ever read the definition, the dictionary definition of a big concept and finally understood it like in your bones understood it or been persuaded by it? For example, love. The dictionary says it's an intense feeling of deep affection. This helps us know about love, but it does not mean that we understand love. The great mysteries and meanings of this life are rarely able to be communicated precisely, or if they are, not often convincingly. Emily Dickinson has that great poem about what it's like to speak of these things. I'm sure you know it. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased, 
with explanation kind. The truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. Not only is it that truth is hard to explain with words or even that it cannot or should not be explained with plain words, what is true is often found or at least deeply entwined with the process by which we get there. Let's look again at love. There are scores and scores of books about explaining what it is and how to get it. But the reality is we can only know it in its fullest sense by doing it, when it is lived. It's something one must walk through in order to understand. It can rarely be explained or conveyed by plain words. And this holds true for nearly all of life's great mysteries. As Rilke is famous for having said, everything is to be lived. Live the questions now. Perhaps you then may gradually, without noticing one day in the future, live into the answers. Our questions set us up on the road we will walk, but the answers we must find by walking. Jesus knew this. It's why he refuses to answer in plain words the question, the question are you the Messiah? It's something we see Jesus do a few times in the gospel accounts. Like for example, in Luke from a few weeks ago when we read, when he's in front of the high priest, he's asked the same question and says, if I tell you, you won't believe. And Luke, at this point, Jesus is already on trial and it's too late in the game for an explanation. But in John, he tells you, I, he says, I did tell you, but you did not believe. And then he offers more. This is where I wanna focus next. He answers this question in metaphor and an invitation. So first, the metaphor. Um, there's a few reasons you'd speak in metaphor at this point and not in plain speech. The first, as I've already mentioned, is that plain speech at this point is not going to be convincing. Saying he is the Messiah, yes, that is true, is, is not going to go very far here. But another reason he might want to talk at metaphor at this point is because answering the question plainly might be too exacting and actually might diminish what he's trying to say. What is it that a first century Jew believed a Messiah should be? I don't know entirely, but I imagine a powerful king, a military ruler, a victor of some sort. That's just to say it's likely that there were nationalistic or political overtones that he did not intend with this title, and he intended instead to subvert and so answering the question plainly would, might have hurt his cause if he says yes, for example, and then doesn't live up to those standards. He risks being considered a liar. But to the metaphor itself, the sheep and the shepherd, why would Jesus use this particular metaphor in this setting? What's the goal here? In short, this metaphor is apt because it's one these Jewish folks would understand. Think of uh, you know, the song we just read from Psalm 23, this idea of being sheep and God as the shepherd. This is a common understanding in the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus' answer is catered then to this Jewish audience. He's building, up and he's building upon and opening up a relationship that these folks already live and understand. So next, the invitation. Part of the power of this metaphor is that by being what it is, it is an invitation. 
In naming this truth slant, in answering with a how rather than a what, he's inviting his hearers into the fold and into that relationship. From the outside, into the pen, into the muck, and ultimately into the trust and relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. This metaphor is an offering. He uses it, this familiar and loving metaphor about God, to tell about what it's like to follow him, and he calls himself the good shepherd. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though seated at a meal surrounded by our enemies, the shepherd will be there. Nothing will be able to snatch the sheep from his hands. This is the experience of belonging to the fold. And Jesus' answer is an invitation into that fold by relationship, to an incarnational knowing. You will find your answers as you live them. I read a great story this week by the late Jesuit priest Anthony DeMello called The Explorer. It goes like this. The explorer returned to his people who were eager to know about the Amazon. But how could he ever put into words the feelings that flooded his heart when he saw exotic flowers and heard the night sounds of the forest, when he sensed the danger of wild beasts or paddled his canoe over treacherous rapids? He said, go and find out for yourselves. And to guide them, he drew a map of the river. They pounced upon the map. They framed it in their town hall. They made copies of it for themselves. And all who had a copy considered themselves experts on the river. For did they not know its every turn and bend, how broad it was, how deep, where the rapids were and where the falls? It is said that Buddha obdurately refused to be drawn into talking of God. He was obviously familiar with the dangers of drawing maps for armchair explorers. What kinds of questions are you asking right now? What are you willing to step into, to live, to get at those questions? What questions of yours are keeping you on the outside and outside of relationship? What muck, what sheep's pen do you need to jump into? We don't, and we can't know the what's of what life will bring, but we are promised the how. When we step into the fold, into the trust of relationship, to listen for the voice of God, Jesus promises to be there as the good shepherd would. Whatever belief, or whatever trust we might have in Jesus, we will arrive at when we have lived it because we have experienced what it's like to be a sheep under that good shepherd, to be cared for in the loving trust of relationship with God. This is the invitation and the promise of Jesus.